Hey guys, welcome to the DNA of a dangerous church. We're about to get dangerous and we have a guest tonight that is just going to rock you guys. I believe that God is going to do some powerful things. I am your host, Pastor Ren Shuffman, the senior pastor of Freedom Fellowship Church. And this is a place where we train and equip you to live in your true authority, to live and be dangerous for the kingdom of God. We have Trisha Frost joining us right now. Trisha Frost, how you doing tonight? I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm blessed to have you on here. I, if you guys don't know, I love Trisha. I love. Oh, I love her. you too. Okay. I love your wife, your family. You got some great kids too. They're they're doing all right, man. They're just crazy for Jesus. So we're they're yeah, doing okay. Uh, I'm so excited to have you on here. Now I know a lot about you, but some of our viewers, two or three of them, maybe don't know who you are. So if they don't know who you are, can you tell them a little bit about your uh, uh, your background and who you are? Welcome again. Thank you, Ren, so much for the honor. I always consider it an honor to be invited anywhere, you know, because. Um, you know what God's doing on the face of the earth and to get chosen to be a part, you know, of um, dangerous stuff, you know, because what we do is we've always been a little quirky. We've always been a little dangerous. So I love the new title, the DNA of a dangerous church. That's awesome. We got to start being a little bit more adventurous and out there and take some more risk. And, and that's what I did. You know, that's what I did whenever I wrote this book. Um, but anyway, my name is Trisha Frost and I co-founded Shiloh Place Ministries, which is basically we started out as an inner healing ministry, you know, just trying to heal the hearts of leaders. And a lot of leaders have been through our doors and and that was wonderful. And I co-founded that with my husband, Jack. Jack since in the midst of it all, Jack went to be with the Lord. He was diagnosed with a horrible disease. He lived 15 months and then he died. And now we've been 15 years without Jack and we're still bringing healing to the hearts of leaders. And there's so many people out there. We're stuck in our situational circumstance because we, it's either the pain is too great or we feel overwhelmed. We don't think that God could ever forgive us or whatever's got us stuck. And that's mainly what we do at Shiloh Place Ministries is we help people understand their orphan mindset you know, they understand the lies, the pain, the whatever. And then hopefully we introduce them to an encounter with, you know, with the experience of who Father God is. You definitely do that. I mean, I'd heard the term, the orphan mindset or the orphan spirit before, but the first time I really got introduced to it and it kind of blew my mind was when I first heard you speak at GSI in 2018. I wow. heard that and I thought, man, everybody needs to understand this concept of, a, of an orphan mindset. Uh, and it stuck with me so much that I ended up writing a book about the root of it, you know, oh, no. the, right. You know, I, you know about that because you endorsed my book. So if you guys have read my book, Breaking the Bastard Spirit, Trisha Frost is one of those endorsements in there. So it really, stuck with me. And, and I have to tell you, not just your message. So some of you guys know that that backstory is she came in and she taught about that orphan mindset, or, you know, some people call it the orphan spirit. There was people there that had never felt a fa the father's love that had never felt the father's embrace. And so she had me get up out of all the people in the room. She picked the five, eight guy. Well, oh, I, I mean, uh, I mean, just six, one, just six, one. Yeah, That's all I am. Okay, okay. uh, <laughs> and had me hugging the, 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 the gentlemen that were like 10 years older than me, 15 years older than me, three feet taller than me and had me stand in 
as a father, not knowing that I have this heart of, of being a spiritual father. So I know not just that that your message is on point and what you write, but your prophetic voice and, and how you listen to the Holy Spirit is on point. So she truly is somebody who can equip us to be dangerous and live out of that. You wrote this book, uh, Experiencing the Father's Embrace Through Loss and Grief. Your your late husband went to be with the Lord, Jack Frost, and maybe a lot of people on here have heard the name Jack Frost before. He's one of the generals in the faith. That was a hard <laughs> period of your life, right? It was a very hard period of life because, you know, we were living on the edge. We were dealing and bringing hope and healing to all these leaders that didn't have a place to go. You know, they didn't feel safe. They would open up their heart for healing. They would get violated or betrayed or whatever. And so we were on the cutting edge of all of these. I hate to say leaders of notoriety, but there were leaders yeah. of notoriety. And they felt safe to come to us, you know, to come for healing of their hearts. And so we're in the midst of living dangerously, doing things that, you know, people are telling us we shouldn't do. We had a lot of people saying you shouldn't be teaching on pain and woundedness and hurt because, you know, once you give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, old things have passed away. All things have become new. That's the true scripture, Ren, but that's about our spirit, man. That's about our position. If that is true and we base everything on that demanding that you never have pain. Why is there so much pain in the world? You know, because wow. people haven't got their hearts healed. And once you get, you encounter God's love, it should heal our hearts. Okay. I've been a Christian for a long, long time. I encountered the love of Jesus Christ who took me to the father when I was six years old. So why did I experience all the pain from six until I'm now? Why was there pain in my life? And it was because I hadn't renewed everything in my mind. There were areas and issues in my heart that were still untouched by the love of the Father. And they were untouched by the love of the Father, man, because I had not opened up my heart for healing. The people that hurt me, wounded me, betrayed me, especially after Jack died, I kind of closed my heart. I believed in Jesus Christ, but there was still the issue of pain. So I had the choice to make. I could allow that pain to dictate my destiny or I could allow Father God to come and, and bring healing into my heart, forgiveness, whatever it was I needed that took me to the next level. And it took me a while to do that. That's why, you know, Jack's been gone uh, 14 years and he's been out of pocket for 15 years. And it took me 14 years to write my sweet little book because I did not want to write with a heart of bitterness, unforgiveness. I had to allow my heart to be healed of uh, a lot of the stories, my story in the book and, you know, Jack's diagnosis and all that that's in there. My son-in-law kept telling me I was trying to write the wrong book. Jack died. I had this. I was going to write, you know, a, a cutting edge book. The title was going to be a widow's might, M-I-G-H-T. My son-in-law said, you know, he said, Trisha, he goes, you're trying to write the wrong book. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, you're trying to write a book focused on widowhood and the Lord wants you to write a book focused on loss. And I thought, wow. wow. Because you see, there's more than the loss I experienced. There's all kinds of loss. So I started a journey to find different areas of loss and then interview those people because the buzz right now is tell your story, find your story, heal your story. I went and interviewed 
people that had been divorced. I interviewed people that had lost children. I interviewed this one pastor that had a huge church. He lost his ministry and his church for no reason of his own. He wasn't in any sin. People that have lost relationships. It deals with almost every kind of imaginable loss that there is. And yeah. it helps people to find the courage to walk through their crises. Uh, I lived in LA. I grew up in LA and I lived for two years in South Central LA. So when I saw mm -hmm. the the title of chapter one, my my little my little hood heart got happy. <laughs> Life in the hood, widowhood. Come on. <laughs> that is so no, good. That was cute. Nah, I'm in. I'm in right there. You know, but when I started reading it, you know, it brought up uh, things in my own life. And so one of the things I want to do on Dangerous Church, I believe if we want to be a dangerous church, we can't be a masked church. Right. We got to get right. some stuff out in the open. Anything left buried can grow. So let's right. undig some stuff, even in my own life. Like uh, a lot of people may may know or not know, not on the broadcast, don't know this, but but my, my brother uh, passed away in his 30s. You know, he killed himself while I was at worship practice at a church leading worship practice. I got the phone call in the middle of that worship practice that I had to go run over his house, you know, and, and found, find my brother. And that was, that was a grieving thing that we went through in my life uh, that I had to process through. And, and so I talk about victory a lot. You talk about the father's heart and here you are in a situation where you've lost this general of the faith. Who's your husband. You, you you're used to grand adventures together. You know, and you write about right. that as I'm reading it, I'm thinking to myself, man, what, tell me more about the adventures. I want to hear some of those stories, okay. you know, all these great adventures. And then poof, in one moment, the adventures are over. The speaking engagements have dried up. And even if people want you to speak, I know how it works. You're in the middle of grieving. They're not going to call you and ask you to speak. So mm -hmm. like just all of a sudden, the all the momentum of your life, it's like it slammed into a tree. Right. It did. Exactly. Yeah. And so for years, you guys have been talking about the idea of the father's heart. And now you're confronted with, do you believe what you really believe? What did that process look like for you? Mm -hmm. Exactly like you said, Ren, I was confronted with the fact that, you know, Jackie had this amazing revelation, which he wrote about in our book, Experiencing the Father's Embrace. And it was such a powerful revelation that it has touched literally millions of people's lives. And it continues to touch people's lives because we continue with the resources and I continue to travel. Now my kids, you know, Doug and Joshua are, tra are traveling. The reason it's so powerful is because Jack didn't create a teaching from it. He brought it home. It was a revelation for him. It healed his heart. He brought it home to our family. And he took each one of our kids individually and repented, not just said, okay, I'm sorry. You know, if I did that, da, 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 da. he looked us in the eyes. He spoke with such amazing, sweet tones. And he gave us the look that said, you're the most valuable thing in my life. And then he went into, I have wounded you, yada, yada, yada. And he repented for everything he could think of. It, it wasn't a list. We do a series called Healing the Hearts of the Children. There is a list in there. But that is only because that was Jack speaking. And his speaking, Storge love to us, his revelation, he imparted to his family, the testimony of it has gone around the world. And we were, like you said, we were one of the main speakers in Toronto all the time. Jack traveled all over the world. He had been on every continent. I traveled some with him and more after the kids were grown. So we're on this amazing adventure, taking this revelation 
it's real. I don't have to go and teach you anything. All I have to do is now I'm not afraid to be in your presence. I know how wow. much I'm loved. And so I'm not intimidated by people that are still walking in their pain or trying to create a, you know, a platform or trying to build a platform. I'm not intimidated by you. I don't have to compete with you anymore. I know I'm loved. Now, what is it inside of me that I can impart to you so that you're comfortable, that you experience the same level of comfort that I do in the Father's presence? I like to say this little thing, you know, when people struggle with really, really believing that God's there, I tell them, you show up and he never left. So there's a tension where those two things come together and it's a new position. I show up today. He's always been there. It's almost like a relief to know that I no longer have to perform for a place in your heart, in his heart, in anybody's heart. And it goes back to our message at Shiloh Place. We always speak on belong, believe, become, because most people turn that around. If I believe I can become something, then I'll belong. No, I, I belong right this minute. And knowing I belong, I believe I can become the destiny and the plan. But stuff still gets in the way. Yeah. You know, and that's where, you know, everybody has loss. If you don't believe you have lost, something's wrong with you. You're in denial or something. So you you have this loss happen with this message. So that's the message. Right. You know, I, I was reading your book. You have this message about belonging and, and knowing your identity and knowing how much he loves you. And you have all these ministries that you're speaking life into you yourself, not just Jack, but you have poured into those ministries. Right. And Jack goes home to be with the Lord. And within the next month, you talk about how all of a sudden churches that were supporting you, that were partners and monthly supporters, they, they knowing that you're, you've just been uh, made a widow, even though I know you don't like that term. And all of a sudden they stop supporting you. They're like, well, uh, Jack's gone. So no reason to send support supports drying up. And it's that what's happening in the natural is kind of exactly the opposite of what you even taught them. Right of that well, message and you're faced with this reality kind of right of, of do I really believe what I believe? How, how did you overcome that? I mean, I, c come on, let's just be honest right there. <laughs> you, you're, you want to be angry. You want to yeah, be frustrated, I, hurt, broken, right? I never understood why I never became angry. My daughter got real angry and her stories in our book and I won't go there tonight, but she got real ang angry. My youngest son, who had more time with the heel Jack Frost, he didn't become angry. He was just trying to figure out his path in life. And then my older son came in and out of that. He kicked into the responsibility. Somebody's got to take care of mom, you know. And so he stepped up to that position. He's a state trooper today. In fact, he runs our county now. Uh, he's been promoted to sergeant. Wow. And uh, so he, he has that personality I'll take care of mom. I'll take care of the ministry. And I was grateful for that because I had to take a little time off to rediscover who I was because when everybody was trying to label me, you know, I had so many people telling me, you should do this. You should be that. You should go here. No, you should stay away from there. And then I had people calling me a Christian feminist because I taught on, I taught on the mother heart and the nature of father God. So now I'm being labeled, you know, and I've got all these labels. And so it brought me to a point that that I had to 
Well, again, position myself. Do I believe this message or not? Because until I know that, confusion was everywhere. Because everybody thought they had the ideal thing for me to do for the rest of my life. I was told, go away and be a grandmother. I was told the ministry will dry up because she's not Jack. And of course, I'm not Jack. I was told I had mental problems. Well, anybody's known me for any time at all knew I had mental problems before Jack died. That's all right. <laughs> but I'm just kidding about that now. But um, <laughs> but you're right. I, I had to come to a point to where this message was either true or all this that we had gone through before Jack was diagnosed was a huge farce. And I just didn't think it was. I, I remembered how I felt when Jack repented to us. I remembered how I felt when he never went back to the old performance-driven Captain Bly fella. Years and years passed from the, the, his revelation from Jack Winter praying over Jack Frost. He never went back. There was nothing to go back to. He was fully loved now. The night Jack died, the minute he walked into the presence of the Lord, his, there was a bunch of people in there and we were singing and we were worshiping God. And his brother, who was an ag, at that time was an agnostic, was sitting there. And all of a sudden, Jack got this smile on his face. He had been in agony. He kind of had like a stroke looking face, like his mouth was drawn. And, and all of a sudden he got this wonderful smile and his brother goes, did y'all see that? Now remember, there's probably 20 Christians in a room and one agnostic. And I go, no, what are you talking about? He goes, there was an angel. He came in the room. He picked Jack up. He walked out and I had French doors. And so this agnostic wow. is watching this and none of the Christians saw it. And to me, Jack had encountered face to face with Jesus Christ and Jesus took him to the father. There was no coming back. He experienced a measure of that love once his heart was healed, but he was really experiencing it then. And there was no coming back. And I kept going back to that memory, remembering when Jesus came and took him, and I didn't see it, but it changed his brother's life. The testimony of the experience that we had the last 15 years of Jack's life with this revelation of the father's love was real. Okay, so now he's gone. Am I a believer? Was that imparted to me or was it not? The only thing I felt during that time was confusion. I never felt abandoned. Even though I talk about the loss of abandonment, at that moment, I never felt abandoned. It's been 15 years since Jack's passing. And I think what motivated me, because I could have went away and been a grandmother. Jack left me with, you know, enough to, to get by and to live nicely. And, but I think what motivated me more than anything else was, and I've told you this before, so many people sent me all this wonderful stuff about grief, about loss. I couldn't read any of it. You know, I was sent that book and it's a great book. Good grief, the seven steps of grief and that, all that's good stuff. I couldn't embrace any of it. And so finally, one day, about a month after Jack's death, I was going through all this stuff and I came across a book called Strengthen Yourself in the Lord. And it was Bill Johnson's book. And he had just it, it wasn't even released yet to people. And Bill had stuck a little note in there. Trisha, you're going to have to make some choices I pray that you make the choices of this book, which was all about Joshua 1-9.
be strong, be courageous. And here's the kicker for me, for the Lord your God is with you. Okay, if I show up and he never left, that means he's always been there. And he's just waiting on me. He's given me the opportunity to respond because no matter how I respond, his love doesn't change. But don't you want to respond more with knowing like, you know, all the verses that we had been given about how God never thinks an evil thought about you, how Psalms 40 verse five says he thinks about you more times than there are numbers to count. Wow. Now that's the sovereignty of God. But that's what the word says in the, the passion translation. If that's how much he thinks about me. And then first John four eighteen says God is love. But then love thinks no evil in first Corinthians 13, four. So if he's thinking about me all these times in a day and God is love and love can think no evil, not one thought of evil, not one thought of, oh, I'm so mad at her. Not one thought of she didn't measure up. She didn't. She didn't. Whatever. Not one thought was thought about me like that. So why were all these people trying to label me? you know, because of what I did or didn't do or how I did it or what I should or shouldn't do. And uh, so I was hit head on with making a choice and I made the choice of courage and wow. I, I don't look back. I mean, I, there are times I'm tempted. There are times I, I relive pain writing this book. Oh my gosh. When I got to the chapter on betrayal with all the people, very close friends betrayed me. Other people abandoned me. One month after Jack died, two thirds of our support from churches that we had gone in and helped establish this message and brought healing to the leadership, those very churches thought, well, Jack's gone. We were supporting Jack. Wait a minute. Trisha was a part of this message and this story. And I was still going to your churches. So I can get bitter and I can look at loss through the eyes of bitterness, or I can look at loss through the fact that, well, if God never thinks an evil thought and he never abandons me and there's still a plan. But for me, it took positioning myself to believe, okay, what's the message today, Lord? And another thing, Ren, is daily assignment. One of the main things I do and I had you do, it's so important for others to experience this embrace that Jack experienced that he brought home to his family. And that's what you were doing on the last day, you know, was speaking the father's blessing. Now, why did I pick you? You know, why did I pick you? Because there was probably, what, 150 people yep. in the school? Okay. Evidently, God just kind of narrowed in on you because of your heart. You know, you're edgy and, and you love all this other stuff too. You're a pastor. You have to focus more on just this revelation and inner healing and all that. You, it, it boils back down to the heart and the heart of a person. You know, the, what is that scripture about? You know, um, hope deferred makes the heart sick and everything yeah. is about the heart being healthy. So if the heart's not healthy, then we become stuck or we become sick. That's the whole point of DNA of a dangerous church is I have a heart to see people be victorious. I have a heart to see them know their authority, know their identity, and then right. empower them to walk in that. Uh, not just know their identity. I think the worst thing you can do is tell someone who they are and tell them they're never allowed to be it.
So, right. you know, there, helping duh, people, duh. yeah, hel that. <laughs> helping people just to walk in it and, and really getting underneath them as a father would a son. No good father wants their son to fail and, and they do everything they can to prop them up and position them. And that's what we're really missing in the body of Christ. And so we've forgotten that the body of Christ, yes, it's government and it's a kingdom, but it's also a family. So many of us experience loss and pain and grief. You know, the Bible promises us we'll, we'll obey our mother and father. If we'll live a righteous life, that we'll have long life, right? It promises us right. long life. But I think a lot of times we think of that as just a straight blessing. But what we don't re realize is that if we have a long life, that means we're going to have a lot of grief, grief and loss because others are going to go on before us. We're going to lose people. We're going to be separated from people during that long life. The longer we're around, the more that will happen. People have to learn how to deal uh, with being dangerous, with being uh, authoritative and be, uh, walking in your calling, walking in the joy of the Lord while walking through loss and grief. And I know there's probably a lot of people on here that have been through things like you. A lot of people have gone through loss like that. And I think your book's going to be really valuable to them to help them understand what it's like. But not everyone's lo uh, had loss like that on a platform like yours, where you had a platform and you were in the public eye like that. You said something that triggered me on even my own loss. If we could dig into that for a half a second, not just that I lost my brother, but here's something that actually I found that that I, I probably didn't grieve as well as I could have, or didn't process as well as I could have. In 2018, I went to Randy Clark's uh, GSI where I met Trisha for the first time. Well, I came home with a revelation from the Lord and an impartation from the Lord. And what began to outpour in my church were signs, wonders, and miracles on a different level. We, we had seen them, but it was like a broad flashlight. And now we were laser focused. So all of a sudden that first week, 12 people get healed. Everyone that comes up to the front gets healed. So the next week, everyone starts running up to the front to get healed. They all get healed. The next week, people are pouring up to the front to get healed. They all get healed. And I'm thinking, any day now, man, any Sunday, th there's going to be lines of people out the door because they're just getting healed and people are getting set free. But I promise you, Trisha, every time someone got healed, it was like someone left the church. And we were this two-year-old church that had grown up to over 200 people in two years. And within the next six months, we were down to 45 people. The wow. church was going off a cliff. I was losing my church. And I literally, I love that father loves us so much that we can be real with him. In a moment of desperation, I just was talking to the Lord and I was so frustrated. And I just told him, I said, you know what? I think I know how to grow a church better than you. I let you take over and this is what's happening. I think I know how to grow a church better than you. And his immediate answer was, well, that depends on your definition of a church. There you go. And right then I went, oh, wow. So I know how to grow a gathering. You know how to grow a church. And I just told him, I said, Lord, if if this is you, then, and you want to run this thing off a cliff, I'm in it. Let's go. I, I, I don't care. You'll have a different assignment for me afterwards. But what happened is, is a lot of the people there didn't want to see all the miracles. They didn't want to be accountable to that. And so I started to create try to mitigate. So the people that didn't want to see all that didn't have to be in it without quenching it, without saying you can't do it. So we almost divided the room where the people that didn't want to see it could go back to the back and talk. And then at the altar, we kept all of that stuff at the altar. And so there was kind of a divided room. And, and even a month ago, 
the Lord was speaking to me and he's saying, look, I understand why you did what you did, but, but it's time to move past that. You can no longer divide the room. And I got in front of my entire church and I repented. And I said, I am, the Lord's been pouring out. We're in full revival right now. Like it's crazy what God's been doing at the church. Um, I can't even barely preach, but here's what happened when that began to happen over the last couple of months where I I don't have to preach if I don't want to. And and God's just showing up and doing wild, radical things in our service and healing people and setting people free. And people are are getting broken of drug addiction and and fear and pain and anxiety and broken bones. And I'm never even preaching the message uh, to get there. But what I found is my loss and my grief over watching the church almost implode from this. I was traumatized and I realized I was constantly trying to figure out how to fit my sermon in so people won't leave. And it clicked. The Lord was like, hey, you have, you have to stop living in what happened before. I was grieving over the loss of my church and what happened. And I was traumatized. And so everything I was doing, I was afraid of... I, I wasn't boxing the Holy Spirit. Don't don't hear me wrong, guys. But I was inside. There was like fear that was rising up in me. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Uh, I'm gonna lose people. I'm gonna lose people. And I'd look at the guest and I'd stare at the guest. Are the guests getting into this? Is this too much for the guest? Oh my gosh! I'm subjecting all the guests to this, and I'm not giving them a chance to warm up. For someone like me, like you're writing about this loss and grief. But how do I walk through something like that? For other people that are listening, you know, I I literally got in front of the church and repented and said, nope. We're chasing this. I'm done. I'm over it. So I just pedal to the metal and repented to them for trying to separate the room or mitigate it. A part of what you might have experienced too, Ren, is your heart. Everything goes back to the heart. So if you got this heart, not just for your people, you have this heart for intimacy with a loving father. You just said, if the ministry goes away, if God chooses to drive it off a cliff, then you're going to be like that movie that, you know, where the girls just drove over the cliff. You're in it together. And that's the biggest thing is I call it the the next great revival, whether it's a, I think it, this revival of the revelation of the father's love is going to usher the kingdom in. That's why you're experiencing signs and wonders and all this other stuff. You should be because it goes back to, this one thing, what does intimacy with a loving father look like? Because our image of God is, is usually filtered through our image of pain from our earthly dads. And so that's one of the things we do is we help people understand, you know, through this revelation and experiencing the father's embrace and spiritual slavery to sonship. We help people understand Lucifer does not want you to have what he never could attain. You know, Lucifer was in heaven. He's the worship leader. All this great stuff. How on earth did he fall being in the presence of the Lord? Well, you know, we get into that with the whole orphan mindset. For whatever reason, I don't know all the details. He never felt like he had a place in Father God's heart, even though he did. He never experienced intimacy with a loving father. And so he doesn't want you. And he certainly doesn't want your church to do it. He certainly doesn't want me to do it. I can get angry or I can say, no, wait a minute. This revelation is real and position myself to hear what the father's saying. And so many people, I'm just going to be honest here. Now I'm going to be a mom. We are living in an entitled, lazy world. It's filtering into the Christian system too, to where we want instant grits. We want I love being slain in the spirit and I get slain in the spirit anytime Carol Arnott enters a room. But um, we, we don't want to have to 
I don't want to say do the work of the gospel. We don't want to have to position ourselves in this place of intimacy to where we have to take those thoughts captive all the time that tell us that send us the wrong message that you don't belong. You don't have a, a place to where you are totally loved, accepted, or affirmed. That is absolutely asinine to people that have come out of abuse. There is no way in this world until they experience the revelation of the father's mind that heals some of the issues of their orphan mindset that people believe that God can be like, he can be loving and kind and he's a good God. You know, that's the message we talk about, but until you actually experience it, do you really believe it? And see, you've had a revelation of that that's brought healing to your heart. It puts you on a, an adventure continually positioned yourself to get bring healing to all those lies, whatever those ungodly messages, those lies or whatever that you were sent, whether it be the loss of your brother, the abandonment you felt. I don't know about your father issues, mother issues. We're not blaming. Oh, please, let's get off the train of blaming mom and dad. It's because this happened, the effect of that in my life has caused me to have a, a worse image of God or a better image of God, whatever that is. The, the enemy just absolutely doesn't like that. So there's a remnant of people that I feel Father is handpicked because they're responding, they're hungry, they're seeking. And, you know, the word tells us when we seek, we'll find. If you really want this place of intimacy with a loving Father, you got to show up because he never left. Amen. And we don't want to show up. And I'm going to show up. I get attacked all the time. Just as soon as I get feeling like I'm overcoming in this area, the enemy comes in and tries to attack me. Well, why can't God protect me better than that? That's the message that the enemy wants to feed my mind. And then I have to stop and go, that's not from Father. Father's a good God. Father's already made provision for what I need before it ever happened. I have to take that thought captive and replace it with the truth. That's the only way I know to really keep your intimacy with love. I mean, you just show up in the intimacy. He lives here. How can he live here without love? But in my opinion, to be able to keep that place of, of knowing that you have to show up and you have to, you're going to have to take this message captive when this loss occurs or when this abandonment occurs, you, you have to find a place. I hate to say have to. You can find a place to grieve your loss. And grief simply is, you know, making a choice to deal with whatever was handed you. And like, and that's why I love this, this book is because it's not about losing a spouse or a loved one. It's about all the other sorts of losses. And even in my journey, that probably something that happened to me that was as great as losing Jack, and we're, we've had so many wonderful testimonies, is whenever I lost my closest friend, they, you know, they, they forgot me. They just kind of walked. They didn't really forget me. They absolutely abandoned me. They didn't know what to do with me. So they tried to say all this stuff. Please, there's a chapter on that, what not to say whenever someone's experiencing loss. Yeah. So in the middle of all that, they had a plan for my life. And I knew that was not my, the plan God had for me. So I found another, I mean, I just 
position myself to find, you know, my assignments from then on, my identity ran. I found really and truly who Trisha Frost was all the time. And when you know your identity and it's founded in love, it can make other people feel uncomfortable. And so I had to deal with the loss of Jack, the loss of my church, the loss of my best friends, the loss of support, the loss of a actually a firm foundation. There was no denying what Jack went through. And so it, it, the integrity of his life, you know, it, it just caused me to want to stay in that same place of I'm always hungry for the next moment with an experience or an encounter with his love. My son from California, Joshua, he's on an adventure with four kids, a wife and a dog driving across country. He thinks this is amazing. He and my son-in-law, Doug, right now, they are pretty much running the ministry. And so Josh is coming on board to, to help with the message or whatever. So he's traveling across country because my son-in-law, Doug, is going to teach him all the ins and outs of running the ministry. So today, first day out, he gets to Las Vegas and it's $1,000 to fix his van because he hit something and his tires blew up. Wow. And so there's all, now I could take that thinking, I want to see my kid. He's coming here to further this great message that we carry. And, and you allow that to happen to him. So you can fight with those negative, trying to reason with God all you want. And it's futile because he's there. He had the plan before it ever happened. And so sure enough, they were able to get the van to a place they got everything replaced, and the guy told him, "If you had not, if you had traveled ten more miles, your family would have been in a bad wreck." That's what I choose. You got to learn how to replace the lies with the truth. The goodness of God's always going to be about truth. The goodness is, is He always has a plan. I am talking to myself, but I don't have to talk to myself because He proves Himself all the time. Do I still get under attack? Ren, do you still come under attack? People still try to speak against you? Okay. They're trying to say lies or whatever to you, but the goodness of God is still there. So it's simply making a choice to, to identify the lie and to replace it with the truth. Yeah, that's exactly spot on because as I've grown a platform where people know me, uh, you know, some of the worst attacks in my life, I'm like, man, I'm sure glad I'm not famous and that that was going all around. But yeah. as I've grown a platform and people people know me, it, it's become imperative to me that one of the ways I withstand grief or loss or attack or any of those kinds of things is that I am so sure that my identity comes from father and nobody else, that nobody else gets to define me, but him. Mm -hmm. And as right. long as he is there looking at go. me favorably, you can say whatever you want. I know who I am. I know who, what he says I am. I know what he thinks about me. And all I do is look up and say, Lord, I know what you say about me. Am I living up to that right now? Or am I falling short of what you say about me? And if he says, Hey, you're kind of falling short of that. Okay. Well, I'll clean a few things up. But if he says, no, you're on point, you're, you're being exactly who I've called you to be, then you can say anything 
you want about me and it has no effect on my on my ability to walk into destiny, to walk into my purpose and my calling. And I, I think that's probably a big thing is that if you truly understand your identity in Christ and what he thinks about you, some of these things that come against you are easier to navigate. Well, you know, so many people have, like you said, that makes it easier. But for those who don't have that, you know, and their image hasn't been cleaned up, they're still living in their pain and they're still stuck. And so they get into hopelessness. And you know that scripture, exasperation causes the heart to be sick, the hopelessness, all that that comes with it. But when you help people understand this orphan mindset, what the root of the pain, like your book, you know, I love that title, The Bastard Spirit, because it gets right down to the root of why we believe, why we believe usually it's attached somewhere to some type of pain whether it's betrayal, abandonment, rejection, those are normally the three roots that we see for the the orphan mindset. Physical abuse, whatever it is, the pain, it changes our image. You know, it clouds our image of a loving father. How can a loving father put me in a home with a dad like that? And, you know, I don't have answers for all those questions, but I know that a dad like that is not who he is. I stay on my journey. My friend Dave Toyin says it like this. As long as you stay in the process, life is a process. Nobody's going to get out of here with 100% of your days happy and you never have an issue. You never have to face loss, grief, abandonment, rejection. It just isn't going to happen. So you can choose to stay mad at God or bitter with other people or embrace a changed image of who father God is a lot of it comes through forgiveness you know it's not just embracing understanding the lie and replacing it with the truth but sometimes you do that through forgiveness letting go and in our book you know there's this one story about a guy that his son was murdered his son was working in a convenience store and a guy watched this movie I forgot the name of the movie but basically it was about what it felt like to kill another human so he walked up to and why he picked Tad, we have no idea, but he walked up to Tad and put a gun in his face and killed him, point blank, killed him. Wow. That guy went to jail. You know, they caught him. He went to jail. Now, my the father of the young man, Tad, Roger, my friend Roger and his wife, Pat, Roger got into prison to see this young man. The victim's family is never allowed to see the perpetrator. We still don't know how Roger got into the prison. Five days after that man held a gun to Roger's son's face and shot him, Roger took that young man's hand and led him to the Lord. Wow. How do you, how do, you do that? I would have went in there. I would have got in there all right, and I would have had a gun hidden somewhere, and I would have given that guy what he justly deserved, and he would have seen Jesus that day. It's called forgiveness. And Roger and Pat got a hold of John Arnott's book on forgiveness. And they just fill their heart every day, renewing their mind by choosing forgiveness. And that's how they overcome the loss. It's been 20 something years now that Tad was murdered. And the loss is, I interviewed them to tell their story. 20 years later, we sit there and we blubbered like babies, retelling that story. It, it, we didn't blubber because of the loss of Tad. We love Tad. We know where he's at. We blubbered because 
the perpetrator got saved and he was able to exchange his image. He grew up in an abusive family. We learned a little bit about him. He was abandoned, rejected, had huge father issues. And then this father, and they were diff different colors, but this father came into his life, held his hand, and told him about the love of God. Now that happened five years after, that was 15 years ago, Roger did that. That young man, so he's gonna be in prison for the rest of his life. He leads a Christian prison group in prison now, helping others to understand the love of the Father. That's amazing. Well, we do it for the one. I love what Heidi Baker says. We stop for the one. If we want revival, I mean, I love what happened in Toronto. My life, Jack's life is a product of everything that happened there. I think that was grandiose, but I think revival is coming now through stopping for the one. And when you stop for the one, they get not just saved and healed and redeemed or whatever, but they encounter. Come on. A love that they we've been told about. That's exactly right. If you guys watch me on Sunday morning, you know that's exactly what I've been saying for a while now, is that this revival is going to come through loving the one. That's what we've been chasing after is is. Uh, individual evangelism, talking to people, sharing the love of Jesus. All of our people go out and share it with the one. And I say, you, you're never going to get a platform with thousands if you won't love the one you're in front of. That's just yeah. how this works. So right. that's so incredible. I love this. You hit the point about the idea that love is the key. And, and that is the whole idea. If you want to learn how to be a dangerous church, the DNA of a dangerous church is love. one that understands that God is love and you're made in his image. And love is the key that unlocks the engine of miracles in your life. You, you want to walk through all this stuff that you got to get a revelation of love without the love of the father and the way God loves me and God loves you. And, and without me seeing how much God loves you and loves me, I'm going to be lost and powerless in that journey. And two, that forgiveness, I think is so crucial. What you said there about forgiveness being that engine to be able to walk through that just so, so, so powerful. And you're exactly right. This revival, the greatest soul harvest that we're ever going to see is happening because people have finally caught a revelation of loving the one. I want everyone to go grab uh, Trisha's book. I think it's so powerful. And, and look, there's somebody in your life that needs this book because they've experienced loss. Even if you haven't experienced loss, you need right. to understand the principles in this. You need to understand the value of this, because I promise you at some point in your life, like she says in there, there's a hundred percent chance that you're going to need this. There's a hundred percent chance you're going to go through something where you experience some loss and grief. If you notice we're on a pattern right now is we're starting to clean up the areas in your heart that need to be uh, purified and, and aligned so that you can't, if I just come on here and say, this is how you prophesy, this is how you pray to see the sick healed. Yeah. You're going to walk into it with brokenness. You're not going to, it's not going to stick. So we're, we're being strategic here and what we're doing on DNA of a dangerous church. And I appreciate Trisha being a part of that strategy in kingdom and sharing and being vulnerable with her thank stories you. today. Yeah, thank you. So, so we're, uh, they can find your book on Amazon, uh, where, how can they find Shiloh? www.shilohplace.org and Shiloh is with an H, S-H-I-L-O-H. We have all kinds of resources. All of our resources, you know, you can invite and speak, you can invite speakers to come to your churches, come to your area, since now I think a lot of places has opened back up and so COVID is no longer, in fact, I'll leave next week to go to Randy's um, that's my favorite place in all the world to go because I meet people like you. Um, so I'll be there. 
next week uh, at Randy Clark's uh, for the thing, the summer intensive. The GSI. Again. Yep. The GSI. I'll be right there. Um, so you can find us, you know, just go to our website, you know, whatever we do. I do one hour counseling sessions. I also have stepped into some prayer ministry sessions because I feel like the Lord said something I don't normally do a lot, but they're always successful. But I feel like the Lord said in this season, Trisha, I want you to stop for the one. And uh, I don't know why this is coming to mind, but I'm going to say this because I got just real quick. I got a little word for you, Ren. I I just keep hearing this song, but I, I remember the song Love Will Keep Us Together by Captain and Tennille. Yeah. I just feel like that is almost your theme song because that's how you operate. And you you made that point. And you didn't even realize you made it. But what will you said the thing? What will keep you together? Son, I think the way you love. You know, and then the way you give it away, the way you encounter God's love, the way that you have, you know, repaired your own heart and the way you have redeemed your history. The testimony testifies and releases the spirit of prophecy. So I feel like you already do some of that. But I, I just feel like God wants you to know that there's a there is a because of your faithfulness, you know, is that there's always a I hate to say reward for obedience. That sounds like performance but there are consequences. And I feel like the prophetic gift inside of you is, is coming up to another level. So pay attention to that. You know, we, we somehow decide that prophets aren't lovable. Well, that is the biggest lie in all the world because I'm one of the most <laughs> lovable people I know and prophetic words I give are right on Mark DuPont. There's a million prophets out there that are kind and lovable. And I feel like that the kindness, the kindness you know, and the goodness of God is what draws man to repentance. And I feel like you example that. And so people are yeah. going to come to repentance. Thank you for listening to DNA of a Dangerous Church. Be sure to subscribe to the show on CharismaPodcastNetwork.com or iTunes, Spotify, Google, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Follow Pastor Ren Shuffman on social media and join our mailing list for exclusive bonus training content at www.ffc.church/dangerous. slash